Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. And every time I hear that opening music, I think of a lime green, bright, shiny field of dewy shamrocks. How about you, Stacey? I I would agree. It definitely makes me um, think fondly of my uh, trip um, several years back to Ireland. So, uh, But it also... Um, it puts us in a much brighter mood because a lot of stuff going on in HR technology could require a little lightness these days. <laughs> How about you, Jenny? You doing well this week? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I, am, I am in the throes of sorting out um, what I've learned in the research the last couple of months, and I think you're doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, we're we're data cleaning still, so we've got about another two weeks of, of data cleaning process, so it's um, – it's fascinating, you know, those who don't actually get to get their hands dirty with data cleaning, and I was just complaining with, to you a few minutes ago about about the fact that I'm going spreadsheet cell by cell because we had a couple, a little mishap in the organization on something that wasn't quite looked at right, and so, you know, Amy and I are sort of going back and redoing it. But I will have to say it is really neat to look at the different type of companies who respond to the research. I mean, you get anything from – a small little nonprofit organization that's, you know, working on sort of uh, creating sort of better homes for animal shelters to, you know, the largest oil companies in the world. And, you're, and the, the, the differences between those organizations and some of the similarities is just fascinating. So it is kind of fun to go in and do data cleaning, you know, at a granular level. And so I'm getting to do that this year. And, and it, you know, once I get past the fact that I've got to look up thousands of cells, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with it. So. Well, well and, and I'll tell you what, my, my view has become that if you don't get that close to the data, you miss things. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, that, um, I think I think people don't understand about what's going on with the um, the emergence of machine learning and natural language processing tools all over the place is that by letting the machine get immersed in the data, you miss the opportunity to learn some really granular stuff. Well, you know that's been a a, a back and forth conversation since the age or dawn of technology, right? The minute you let a piece of technology build the chair for you, you don't really think about how a chair maybe should be engineered for people because it's just pumping out a bunch of chairs, right? Where back in the days when you hand carved or at least pieced together all the pieces of a chair, you literally would test it, try it out, see someone sitting it. It was a much more, you know, personal, you know, process and you end up usually with a much better product in some ways, right? So the question is, you know, is that dynamic happening here too? I think the answer is probably yes, but we didn't stop making chairs in manufacturing environments because of that, right? Boy, that's a long conversation. I think I think I'm, I think I'm just going to let that let that sit there. Um, I think I'm just going to let that sit there because we've got so many interesting things to, to cover here. But but yeah. but the the um, you, you know the, the the essence of of the sort of contemporary cultural revolt against industrial stuff is that artisanal handmade things have this kind of elusive quality of I don't even know how to describe it but but there's something that you get when the product 
has human touch all over it that you don't get any other way. And and I would equate that to looking at the details on a much d- deeper level. I, I and and I'm I'm being a devil's advocate on this, obviously, because I spend hours. Because you hate hours. looking at the data. I know. I'm, I've got I've got your number here on this. Yeah. No, but I know it's important to do it. I may not like to look line by line, but I know how critical it is and how valuable it is. So. Yeah, no, I didn't say it. it was fun. I said, I said it's a way to it's a way to deepen insight. Yeah, exactly. Fun, fun it isn't. Fun it isn't. And, yeah. and, and there's nothing worse than getting lost in a data cleaning exercise where you eventually decide that you screwed something up very early on and you have to go back and redo it. That's part of that yeah. process. That's part of the problem. It's very painful. Uh, speaking of data cleaning, I mean, the this week the Topics and the I think the news that's going on in the HR tech space is really a, a, a much more focused look at this concept about data, data cleaning, and how that sort of plays a role in you know decisions that are being made in companies. So it's it's a been a busy week. We've got Phenom People and Swoop Talent partnering to um, recognize top talent. We've talked quite a bit about Swoop Talent in the past and, and Stacey Chapman and Phenom People as well. So I'll be very interested in your perspective on this, John. You know, how is this sort of the deep data analysis that, that goes in here is going to work together? We also have a couple of interesting uh, acquisition and investment uh, conversations going on. Toast, um, which is most of you probably wouldn't know that Toast is. Toast is, is actually a retail operation, so point-of-sale system, right, as well as a consulting services organization for retail organizations. They acquired an HR technology that was focused on the retail environment called Stratex, um, and there's some conversation there to be had about consulting firms and the content and the information connecting with the technology, and is that a better conversation versus straight technology? Um, we also saw this week that Gusto, for those who follow the SMB uh, payroll nature market, Gusto is one of the, the sort of newer uh, names in the market but has been growing rapidly. They received $200 million in Series B funding, and with that they plan to expand to an R&D uh, uh, location in New York City, so that's sort of interesting. We also have a couple of small organizations that have got seed funding that's worth mentioning, Amsterdam-based um, organization um, Five Miles uh, attracts $750,000 to improve employee skills. Um, we also got uh, HR outsourcing provider CoAdvantage being acquired by Aqualine Capital Partners. Um, so lots of little stories here, and then some stuff we missed last week on a light um, offering daily pay, one of your favorite topics. Um, now, Willis, Willis Towers Watson introducing a new product called SkillsView, um, which is focused on compensation frameworks. Uh, and if we have time, me and you had a great conversation earlier about the idea of how AI companies can avoid ethics washing, a new term I heard this week uh, that we can talk a little bit about. So where do you want to start, John? you want to start with Swoop Talent, or, or do you want to start with some of the bigger topics? Oh, let's talk about Phenom and Swoop Talent. These are, these are, this is, a, this is an interesting thing. So Phenom people, I think they are up to 450 or 500 employees. Yeah. Um, I'm going. I'm going out to see them in a couple of weeks, and um, my sense is that that they are growing faster than anybody really recognizes. Yeah. Um, 
um, at 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 450 or 500 people. This is a this is a juggernaut. This is some kind of a big deal, and they've partnered with Swoop Talent, um, which is the amazing company run by Stacy Chapman, who is a longtime industry veteran, and. As, as I understand what Stacy is trying to do there, it's it's trying to build the capacity to um, use data without it having to be cleaned as hard as you're cleaning it. Is that, is that your take? Yeah, uh, definitely my take. Her, you know, in the conversations I've had with her, her goal is to extract information from environments that would naturally or generally require so much cleaning that they're almost unusable, right, which is a good way to put it, and and actually you know, create data from them that is usable in your recruiting process and your talent selection process. I will be completely honest. I do not understand the technology or how it all works because she has this amazing sort of algorithms that you know, she has, you know, built that underlines a lot of traditional sort of analytics tools and and standard sort of uh, data lake processes and, and data lake environments. But um, but yeah, that's my, my final understanding of what she does. So 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 if I were to try to explain it at the next level of detail, <clears throat> Swoop Talent begins with the premise that your data is a mess. Um, and and the first thing that they did was build tools to collect all of that data. So they are really really great at process automation, data collection, process automation. They're good at scooping up your data and carrying it over and putting it in the lake. Then the yeah. next thing that they've done is they've built machine learning algorithms that recognize the behavior of data, so it doesn't have to have a shared title on the row to be merged. Um, so, so you can call it first name over here and surname over there. And because the text that's underneath the column heading behaves in the same way, it can be recognized and merged. And so they use that to, to bring the data under governance. The interesting idea. So it seems to me that the um, Phnom people and Swoop Talent um, integration is a move for both companies into much bigger markets. I, I would agree because the, the organizations that, that leverage Swoop Talent are generally the biggest organizations. I mean, you, you sort of have to have large enough data sets to almost make this work with, with what I understand with what uh, Stacy does. A phenom people, not as much. I mean, they definitely are generally larger companies, but they've also got some mid-market and SMBs in what they do. Um, but they were also on the road for artificial intelligence doing a lot of their own categorization and AI stuff. I know you've been talking to them for quite some while. So are, is there going to be some overlap here, or is this a, a natural fit, do you think? I think I think it's a natural fit. The, the, two, companies, the two companies make each other better better um, and the idea that there is some way of taking all of the data getting it in order and then um, instantaneously popping out the thing that you're looking for so 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 this project sounds like and a lot of the AI projects that aren't 
caught up in in shiny object things tend to be about making search for people work better. This sounds like another approach to that. Gotcha. And and it also sounds like where generally a lot of the work that Stacey does would only be viable or feasible is probably a better word to use by the largest organizations. What by using the Phenom CRM and some other things, this could make it more accessible to smaller organizations. I don't know if that's the case. It's something to be to ask Stacey and, and the Phenom people, but um, it feels like that might be part of what this would do. Yeah, I'm sure anxious to learn more detail about it, but it, it seems like a really, really interesting concept. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it will be, you know, I think we're going to see more. I mean, we have seen a lot of this, but a lot of it with, I think, Bigger names is, is probably in larger companies, right? Um, and, you know, now I think we're starting to see some of the work that was done two years ago pay off for some of these smaller companies um, because they have made the investment in, in understanding the data processes, right? Right. Yeah. All right. So, feed on people. Toast. You want to do toast? Yeah, toast. I mean, this is one, again, you know, I mentioned a little bit, this is a retail sort of play, and so it's a very industry-specific play. Toast uh, acquired Stratix. So Stratix is HR and payroll software for restaurants, right? Um, They're one of the leading ones in the area, and so unless you're in the restaurant business, you probably wouldn't have ever heard of Stratix. Um, And same thing with Toast. Toast is a consulting firm as well as a supplier of -of point-of-sale systems, or POSs as they're called in the retail environment. And having worked in the retail environment, you know, when I first came over doing HR technology, I was sort of flabbergasted by how often we didn't talk about the technologies that were part of the operations environment of any business because I could tell you probably at least you know 50% of the time when you go into a retail environment, the time tracking system is not standalone in the stores. It's part of the point of sale system or POS system. So tracking, you know, retail point of sale or retail, you know, time tracking systems has to take that into consideration, right? And so this is an area where Toast basically, uh, you know, acquired Simply HR with the idea of sort of merging those things together, payroll, HR, and the things that they're offered in the POS system with their time and attendance as well as all of the point-of-sale information. But what caught my eye on this is that um, Toast is also a consulting firm. They advise on things for restaurants and advise on things from a people perspective. And we also saw just last month some very similar sort of acquisitions or decisions being made. Uh, Willis Towers Watson introduced their innovative skill-based pay analytics platform called SkillsView, which is basically taking their data on skills um, and analytics and their compensation framework and tying all that data together into a technology, right, that will help people make decisions about um, pay and how that relates to, like, how you should pay per skill level, not per role in an organization, which is absolutely kind of fascinating. Um, I should note that Wills Towers Watson has um, one of my favorite um, people over there heading up their strategy work called Karen O'Leonard. She used to work with me over at Burson in the day. I don't know if this is one of her projects, but it it sounds like it definitely would be part of something she would think of. Um, So, you know, things like that, plus, you know, Alight, which is another sort of outsourcing organization offering daily pay, on-demand payroll options, they're an outsourcing organization with a lot of services and consulting, and they're adding technology. We can talk about the daily pay issues in a moment. But what's your thought on this idea of operations, consulting, bringing more technology into the world? Is this a 
is this just you know the cycle going around again, or are we going to see more of this now that content is becoming important with the machine learning process? Big question. Um, my take is that is that venture backed firms get punished brutally for having services income. Yep. Um, they're they're. Investors don't like it. The valuation is affected by it. So what you see in all of the cloud companies um, is that they have to figure out a way to do consulting that doesn't hit their books. Yeah. Right. And so and so so you can't really buy, say, Workday without a relationship with one of Workday's installers because Workday's installers do the consulting work. That means that there's a really big opportunity. That means that, means that, that the largest complaints about those software uh, things in, in all of the enterprise deliveries is that the consulting is expensive and incomplete. And you can't just drop a piece of software into an organization and expect it to work. It's 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 a it's a complex human machine interaction. So the idea that what you would do is hire a consulting company who happens to bring along software, I see this happening all over the place. That is exactly what's happening in the RPO industry. The RPO yeah. providers are becoming technology providers. Um, the um, so so this is just this is just an extension of that because the market is hungry for better service. I think it's hungry for better service, but I also wonder if because I but we've seen this cycle before. I mean, when we were doing talent management, there was a lot of talent management consulting firms that were buying talent tools and then it sort of went back to well the technologies to get funding to be innovative need to be standalone technologies, right? We, that cycle I've at least been through one of them. I'm sure you've been through multiples of them. Um, but the difference I'm wondering that might change maybe that is that the data, the information is becoming valuable, and the only way to get information is not just pulling it in from your, you know, because I can pull a lot of data into my technology, but unless I have a consulting function or an arm that understands it, cleans it, puts a value to it, right, that might be a difference. I don't know. I mean, this is me sort of speculating at this point, but it seems to me like the consulting component of this might add the value to the data that organizations might be looking for down the road. Um, that's, that's an interesting thing. You can imagine if that's the case, that what will happen is it'll go back and forth some more times because every time the data volume changes, we're going to have a shift in what's important if, yeah. if what you're saying is how it works. And I've got no reason to think that you're wrong. Um, so that means that we'll just see faster and faster cycles alternating between technology and service delivery. Well, and maybe that's a, a good jump off for the conversation we were having before we, we got on the radio show, which was about um, the idea of ethics and data management inside of organizations. There was an interesting article put out this week on how AI companies can avoid ethics washing. Um, now, the the definition for ethics washing was a little bit sort of all over the place, but it's you know the practic 
practice of fabricating or exaggerating a company's interest in equitable AI systems that work for everyone while at the same time doing things that would be considered possibly unethical by selling their data or leveraging, you know, sort of, um, you know, privacy information or, or not making it clear what kind of privacy processes they have within their technology environment. So the example that they put out in this particular article was Google's uh, most recent challenge with this, where they had a high-profile um, sort of announcement of their Google's external AI ethics panel which then sort of devolved into a PR nightmare when people started leaving when they felt like that they weren't actually really serious about doing AI ethics um, in that panel. So, you know, we were just talking about this idea of sort of moving faster and faster, this process of sort of technology being more important versus data, data being needing to be tagged, and then I need new technology, so then the technology, or I need new data, so the technology goes, gets more important and I get different data sets. Who watches all of this, and is there such a thing as ethics washing, you know, from where you're sitting, or is this just the process we need to go through? Um, you, you know, it's it's there's so much noise in the AI conversation that that people work hard to find ways to stand above the noise. Uh, ethics washing. <laughs> the term is, is makes you just sigh, John. That's always a concern. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. So. So. So I don't know. It, it's such a crazy world where everything that you do is examined closely. The bigger you are, the closer the examination. And in order to solve some problems, you have to start little. You have to do it in a way that doesn't cover everything, and you have to be prepared to make mistakes, right? And so, so the idea that you should be suspect because you have an ethics program in your AI section that isn't comprehensive and that there's something wrong with doing that, that it's evil ethics washing, um, <laughs> you know, this seems so naive to me. Um, and um, there are there are things you can you can see things where people are putting ethics boards in place because they don't have any choice. You can see that. Um, uh, there there are a number of ethics boards being formed in and around HR tech on issues like video interviewing, where. There, if you want to stay in the market, there isn't any choice but to start to have an ethics function. But you got to give it a chance. Even, you know, many of the ones that I see are ethics boards built of people who are all in and close to the company. And that um, that doesn't get good questions asked, but you got to start somewhere. And and this, this idea that that kicking people because they're they're not perfect in their actual ethics execution that that that's that, that gets my attention how about you well i get what you're saying but but i think i'm going to push back a little bit because i think there is a particularly coming out of the technology space right i, I can remember back in the days when we first before sort of networks were assumed you know sort of the thing that was going to run our companies right people putting together these technology boards, right, um, similar kind of 
not exact concepts, but but the idea that I had to really understand where technology would go in my company, right, um, and and how it might be used. And I needed some external audience to sort of tell me that, right, or some external influence to help me with that conversation because internally I didn't have the skill sets. I push back a little bit on that, and that I think the people inside your company are the most important ethical firewalls, right? They're the people working on the products day in and day out. And what, you know, this particular article, and I, and I think the, the conversation, you know, that's been sort of had is, you know, your ethics conversation should be designed so it's built into your company. If you really want to make a change in anything, it has to be built into your business model. So there are financial and performance-driven sort of um, outcomes for, for being more ethical in some way, right? And that there are some roadblocks that people within your company set up and, you know, are being held accountable to. And I agree, you know, moving small, getting started, doing anything at all is better than doing nothing. But I think that it, it should be much more of an internal conversation than an external branding and marketing effort. And so for me, that makes a lot of sense in this conversation. And I think it's it's by calling it ethics washing, which feels just like icky all the way down, it makes you think a little more about it. That would be my sense. Well, well, I hear what you're saying, and 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 so, so it's unlikely that the people inside of your company are going to have the answers to some of these questions. It's unlikely that they're going to have some of the questions, right? And so, if you say that 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 your people are the front line. Um, and that's that. You just set your people up for failure, because your people are supposed to be doing their job. And a good ethics program means thinking about things that don't get the job done, right? And so, and so, there's a difference between the sort of strategic mindset that's required to to really see ethics, and the strategic mindset requires that you see that far outside of your company. And the sort of um, on the ground tactical behavior that you want to get the company grown, right? There's just a difference there, and um, you can't see things like um, the real cost of starting an AI system in your company is not something that you can know w internally, and. Cheating on the real cost, and by cheating I mean not anticipating all the places where the expense will occur, is not something that you can really understand internally, but it's got big consequences for the company. Uh, a, a understanding that machine learning programs fail. They predictably fail. Every single one of them fails. Um, and so knowing what to do and having the staffing and um, resources available for handling the failure when it happens, that's an ethics problem. And, I, and I, I don't know how you get people on the inside to know that without a great deal of training. I, I want to highlight what you said, because, because this was part of the earlier conversation we had, and I thought it was quite fascinating. What you're saying is, because, I mean, most of this 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 article and most of the conversations we, we hear come out day after day about the ethics issue, right, is that it's about bias and about diversity and about sort of whether or not you should sort of ding employees for, for, for the time they take to go to the restroom, those kind of things, right, that, are, that feel very 
um, sort of close to sort of a, you know, should we be listening to technology or will the technology actually, you know, basically just reemphasize what is already our bad traits, right? But right. you're actually saying there is a different type of ethics conversation, which is the impact of, if I can say this appropriately, the impact of doing this in a way and how it impacts your business if you're not prepared to do it right. That that's, it's unethical to be doing it without having things in place to do it right, right? Well, let's say, let's say um, in a magical world that there's a system that you can install that does your hiring for you or some significant part of your hiring for you, has massive influence over your hiring. Um, the question that you have there is how do you tell if it's doing its job right? Um, and the answer to how you tell if it's doing its job right is a feedback loop that's a year or two long. Um, and so currently, I think there are probably some easy ways to make the feedback loop shorter, but, but you tell if a hiring process is doing well because the, hired, the people you hired are still there in a year and people are happy with them. And that doesn't work very well in recruiting currently. So people in recruiting try all sorts of stuff. Um, but if you can't tell when the system is broken and you know it's going to break, so you can't see the consequences of it being broken because you don't know when it's broken, installing that without a, um, an infrastructure of test and inspection and examination um, so that you can be aware of when the shift happens, um, that's an ethical problem. That's putting your investors' money at risk without taking adequate care of it, right? And that, that's, that, so ethics, ethics include fiduciary responsibility, right? It's not just um, the problems with categorization and the problems of implicit bias flowing down things. There are many other ethical issues, and... Um, it's really hard to get your arms around what they all are. I haven't seen anything anywhere that does a good job of saying, here's what all the ethical issues are, which means that anybody who starts an ethics program in their company is going to be subject to the kind of PR problem that Google had. Oh, here's an ethics problem that you didn't consider your ethics. Therefore your ethics program is defective. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. How do you how do you function with that? <laughs> Welcome to modern day social uh, decision making processes, right? <laughs> oh, my, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's 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 quite challenging, and and if you if you let it run, and you get really conservative in your decision making as a result, that's an ethics problem, yeah. right? Getting your decision making too conservative puts your company out of business. Uh, I like your your comment on the fiduciary side of the ethics piece. You know, we have a lot of um, fiduciary roles about sort of like not running a company into the ground for one reason or another, um, and and poor decisions around ethical issues in your HR technology could definitely cause you. I mean, I, you know, um, Amazon is, a, is an interesting example of an organization right now that's dealing with, you know, machine learning being part of its its sort of warehousing process right now, which is driving huge pushback. You know, the Amazon Prime Day, they had lots of um, strikes around sort of the, the 
conditions in those warehouses because of the machine learning processes that the workers were sort of being held accountable to, right? Um, I don't know that that's exactly the same thing you're talking about, but I think that you know there is a lot of conversation that probably needs to be taken. It, it right? is. It is though. I, I mean, it's it's becoming clear. We we don't know a whole lot about what happens when you put machines and human beings together on teams. But one of the things that's becoming pretty clear is that if the machine gets all of the easy work, the people burn out faster, right? And you can't give machines complicated work. They can only do easy work. So, so what happens when you put a machine into a system is it rearranges the work and it causes dissonance in the established retention patterns and promotion patterns and what makes a great employee and what makes a high potential employee and understanding those implications. Those are huge ethical issues that involve the future of the company rather than just the company's treatment of the employees who are there. There's, I guess it's that there are two sides to the ethics coin. One is, one is about the success of the company and the other is about the success of the people who are in the company. Well, on that note, we have blown through our 30 minutes, but boy, what a fun conversation, John. I mean, these are things that hopefully the, are um, being discussed in the halls of every product development and company management level. Um, but uh, these are things, if they're not talking about them, they should be talking about them, I think, right? Yeah, we're having, we're having fun here, Stacey. Um, thanks, thanks for doing this. What a great conversation. Definitely. So. So you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you back here next week, same time. Um, have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.